What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, howdy, hey, Hardwood Knox listeners. This is Dan Favalli coming at you without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. We have a great pod for you today with a special guest, though, where we're going to be breaking down all those rookie extensions that were signed a little bit over a week ago. Also go into some predictions for the restricted free agents to be that did not sign extensions, so you don't want to miss this episode. Before we get started, however, just the usual housekeeping notes. Please continue rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on iTunes. You can also find us wherever else you're consuming your podcast iTunes is still the best way, though, to let us know that you're out there and listening. We appreciate every single rating that we could get. Reviews are much appreciated. Throw us the five-star rating. Write a review with whatever you want. Constructive criticism, advice, questions, thoughts, concerns, anything. We're always checking those. Definitely subscribe if you haven't done that already. If you have done all of those three things, please, we ask you that you retweet anything that Andy and I may do to promote this podcast to help us continue to get the word out there. You can follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. And finally, follow Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. Now, let's get into the podcast for realsies. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli coming at you without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. I am, however, super excited to be joined by Adam Frommel. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math. He's also a quality editor for Bleach Report, and he also is, obviously most importantly, one of the founding members of this friggin' podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Adam or at Frommel09, excuse me, at F-R-O-M-A-L-09, and be sure that you're following NBA Math on Twitter, who sponsors and publishes this podcast, at NBA underscore math, spelled exactly as it sounds. Adam, how does it feel to be back to your old stomping grounds? I feel like I have the same reaction every time I come on for one of these guest spots now, where it's like, it's still weird to me that you're the one that's doing the intro, because that was always my job at the beginning, whether it was me and you or me, you and Andy. Um, So it's it's just a little bit off-putting at first that I have to like sit back and be quiet and listen to the introduction and, and not talk. I mean, that's a little weird because now it's been years. And so it's like you think you should be in like a little bit of a, a flow. But it's bit. like as soon as the mic comes out, you know, it's like it, it's just the right. throwback, you know. It's just that mindset. Do you remember the early aughts of Hardware Knox where you and I – I don't even think it was Hardware Knox at the time. We were posting the poorest quality shit on YouTube. And getting like zero. Oh, it was hits. terrible. I had yeah. no idea what we were doing. No, none at all. The quality was awful. I feel like there we didn't have any idea like how to keep it short either. So there were like two and a half hour podcasts that we were throwing up that were just like talking about the Hornets. Or but, it might have even been the Bobcats at that point. Yeah, it was. I don't know if they were Bobcats at that point yet, but it was a while ago. It was more than a half decade ago. So we are. I'm, I'm getting old too. Uh, we still have the length problem, if that's any consolation. We've been told by higher ups that the length needs to chill. And especially when I was bringing on individual team guests and combining them into pods, I'll post like two and a half hour podcasts because I'm a nerd that would listen to those. But um, those are wildly unpopular among our amazing higher ups at Blue Wire. So we're working on the length problem five years later. Don't you worry. I feel like you need to just react to that by like just a hard stop, like 40 minutes in or whatever it is, just cut off mid-sentence, be like, we'll be back next time. You know I'm too verbose. I can't do it. Yeah. I brought you on, though, because, one, you haven't been on in forever, and I said that I don't like to pest you much because you have a kid, but you said it was fine, and then I'm pretty sure within seven days of you saying it was fine, I was in your text message. I, was, I, I slid into your DMs, basically, and I was like, hey, can you come on to talk about all the, the rookie extensions that, that we had uh, this season? It was a couple were signed before the year, but we had like this onslaught of agreements towards the 11th hour where we don't really have it. 
A lot of people think it was impacted by the China stuff and what's going to happen with the salary cap if the revenue goes down. A lot of other people just believe that teams were concerned about these monstrous offer sheets and what's going to be a really crappy free agent market. Were you taken aback at all before we get into them individually of all these, uh, of all the extensions that came? And you know what? Before you answer that, I am still in the very early process of asking this question to all our guests. How do you leak pass? How do you decide which games you're going to watch? I'm always fascinated by how other people follow the the NBA, especially a basketball nerd like yourself. Yeah, I, I don't really go into any night with a specific plan. It's not like I, I have this one target. I just I tend to bounce around a lot to try to take in some of each team. Um, I, I tend to gravitate more towards the close games, and especially early in the year, you know, I, I like to try to watch for myself what. I'm not reading about as frequently, which tends to be the bad teams. So, you know, like some people will actively avoid watching the Charlotte Hornets or the Washington Wizards, but those are kind of the games that I'm seeking out at the beginning, more so than like the nationally televised Sixers and Celtics game uh, that opened those teams' seasons. Because, you know, we're, we're going to watch those teams pretty frequently. We're going to read about them all the time. I'd like to see Miles Bridges. I want to see what Isaac Bonga can do. Um, you know, just seeing those potential breakouts, seeing guys who are are jockeying for minutes. Um, that's that's really what I try to focus on early in the season, um, with the exception of the Hawks, who I'm pretty much going to watch exclusively whenever they're on. Well, they're like no longer in that bad team area. They're, they're- yeah, I know. It's, it's I'm I'm still adjusting. I think I had to stop myself from buying like four Trey Young jerseys at least seven times during his first game this season. Who needs four? I feel like you need at least six if you're going to lean into. That's it. fair the half dozen number did it change for you at all from when since you used to cover the nba as a writer to now as an editor was there any shift in how you followed and watched the league or was it just you know now you don't have to worry about covering certain games for assignments yeah i think i bounce around more now just because we tended to know what we had some general concept of what we were going to be writing about going in so it was there, there was a more focused um focused path that we would take just just because you you know that hey, I'm going to be writing about Kemba Walker next week. Let's make sure that we watch him a couple more times than, than I might otherwise do. Um, so just without covering anything explicitly right now, I think that does give me a little bit more freedom to just kind of do what I want with the league pass schedule. Do you ever get, the final question on this front, overwhelmed on the 11 game nights where there's just like so many different games that you can bounce around from? Because I, I'll just fully admit, I get... A little overwhelmed where I think I have to I have to like focus on like an early game be like you know what I'm gonna when there's because that's what most of them are going on as you get later there's there appears to be fewer on it's easier to kind of juggle but I have to like you know the first 11 game night of the season I was like the Hornets and Bulls I'm watching that game wire to wire and I'm not going to get caught in these social media traffic jams on all these other games and, and highlights because I love when the NBA is so busy but it's also a little bit overwhelming for me when there's that many games and I just I want I want to bounce around but then you risk to me, or at least in my part, like not taking away as much as you want from these individual performances. No, I totally get that. I think that sometimes I'll start off with like a game on the television and, and one on each computer or something. And and then it's just way too much. And it's like, okay, I need to focus on something. I think I'm, I'm less likely to jump around when there are more games. On to the extensions though, as we go through them all, just to get impressions were you surprised by the sheer number of what kind of happened as we got closer towards the deadline this year? No, I, I don't think so. Just because of the factors that you brought up with the, the potential revenue shift from the China situation and with the the sheer putridity of this upcoming free agent class, I think I kind of expected that teams would want to secure those deals before, you know, when you have money to spend, it's going to burn the hole in the pocket, right? And that's what's going to happen this offseason. Um, even as the class gets weaker and weaker. So I, I do think that teams were justifiably scared into settling for deals they might not want to have made uh, just to get it out of the way now before they're forced into even worse situations going forward. I am going to ask you some like general wrap-up questions when we get through all the extensions to see what you thought might have been the riskiest or the best team value on. But of the max ones that were signed, we had Ben, ben Simmons, five years, 170 can get as high as 203.6 million if he makes first team all NBA. There's also other incentives, so it's between 170 and 203.6. Jamal Murray, same situation with the five years, 170 million about. Then Pascal Siakam, four years and 129.9 million can get up to as high as 
156 million if he wins MVP, which I wouldn't peg it, but there are incentives for depending on. Let's the not rule that out. Fair enough. Uh, there are incentives if, depending on which only NBA team he makes. Was there one of those that you were surprised by at all, or did you, could you have seen? You know, I, the Murray and the Simmons ones happened so long ago. Could you have seen like all of these ones coming? I think it was pretty. I think of the three, there are two where I, f- I feel like everyone knew there were going to be maxes, and there's one that's probably a little bit of a surprise. I feel like, honestly, we knew all three were going to come. Like, Simmons okay. was so obvious. We can just move past that because that was easily the most obvious of the bunch. The people who are trying to paint that as, like, a shock or, like, a bad move, I yeah, just found on. incredible. Come like, on. we need to we've, – we've exacerbated the Ben Simmons can't shoot stigma because yeah. it's a stigma, but it does, it's not a stigma that prevents him from being an all-star. Totally agree. And then with, with Siakam, I think it it felt inevitable, even if he isn't a traditional max candidate, just because he, he broke onto the scene so quickly and hasn't really served as a number one um, until now. Uh, but it still felt like it was inevitable, just because, you know, Kawhi Leonard leaves for the Clippers and it becomes his team. You know, who, who else were they going to give that money to with right. the veterans coming off the books um, this, this coming summer? So... That one felt obvious, even if it might have surprised people because he doesn't have as much cachet with more casual fans, even after what he did throughout this past season. And then Jamal Murray, I think of those three, he's probably the one who, based on on past production, deserves it least. But it also felt inevitable just because, of course, Denver was going to extend that core. You know, he's shown such synergy with with Jokic uh, that they had to. They, he's one of the, the centerpieces of that ongoing progression in Denver and they were never going to let him get away and they were always going to have to pay him that much money. So it, it, to me, it felt like all three were guaranteed to happen. I'll the, the Siakam one. I thought they might've waited on because of their cap situation until they extended Kyle Lowry. And then it kind of seemed like, all right, they don't have any plans for that cap space. Next That's time. fair. And I, and I should say, I, I more meant that less so the timing and more so the fact that he got the max is what felt inevitable to me. I wasn't as inevitable with Jamal Murray though, just especially in July. That was like, if you would have told me that he ended up getting the max in this situation, because you saw those other teams giving out extensions, you saw what Buddy Heald got, then I might've been, but they were just quick about it. And I think, you know, you kind of brought it up. It just really speaks to how the Nuggets believe in their core, but also like how they're going to treat their own guys. Like they, they want to like extend these olive branches where they can. And so I just wouldn't, it, it was early. I never would have expected that deal to get hashed out. And I think there's a chance that he ends up being worth it. He carried their offense at times in the playoffs. He also disappeared at times. If he becomes more of a consistent player, that contract is going to end up, you know, maybe it's not the best value max contract, but it surely won't be a poor value one if that's the trajectory he heads on. No, I'm I'm with you. He's still one of those guys who I watch play, and, and I I just feel like the breakout could be coming at any moment. And we and we've seen those those mini breakouts, you know, especially uh, at times in the playoffs. But it's the consistency that that needs to get better. And he he showed so much improvement in different areas, like his ball control was so much better throughout this past season than than we've seen before. Then, um, so his trajectory is still there. I still feel like he could justify it. I think of the three, though it's hard to justify it based on what he'd already done. Yeah, for sure. For the Nuggets, though, I guess specifically, he's like, Nikola Jokic is fantastic, top five, seven player in the NBA, whatever, but they, they don't, the Nuggets don't really have these scores that can face up and just go get a bucket, which I think become a lot more important in crunch time. Like Nikola Jokic, post-ups and pump, like those are only going to get you so far, whereas maybe the last two, three minutes of the game, you need someone like Murray who can operate from square one. And I don't know that they had even someone else who could turn into that option on the roster, unless you think it's going to be Will Barton healthy or Malik Beasley down the road, or you had high hopes for Michael Porter Jr. And even just saying those names, it felt like that would have been saddling those guys with too much responsibility if you turn to them for that type of offense. So you say that, but we just saw flamethrowing Jokic come out in the fourth quarter against the Trailblazers and just absolutely carry that team to a victory. I just feel like playoff, yeah, he uncorked all the threes in crunch time. That was just fantastic. <laughs> it was great. I, I want to see more of that. Yeah, he's, I mean, he got, he was more aggressive, I think, last year over on offense, but I feel like just in the playoff setting, we sort of saw, saw it in that Spurs series where things bogged down. You do need that perimeter face-up score, which 
Jokic can score from anywhere, but he's not beating anyone off the dribble or taking these step backs. No, yeah, I, I'm totally with you there. I would pay to see a montage of Nikola Jokic step backs, though. That's something I would pay to see. I mean, based on the way the NBA is trending, I, I don't know that I'd be too surprised if we don't get something like that in three years. That's fair. Jalen Brown, four years, $115 million, includes $8 million in unlikely incentives within that total. So you look at his four-year 107. I believe there's also $4 million of likely incentives. So if he doesn't hit those, it can be four years, 103. The reported number that I saw was that the Celtics offered four years, 80 million. Are you at all surprised that this is a deal that got done based off that number or just the sheer fact that Boston hadn't given a rookie extension to anyone other than Rajon Rondo over the past decade? Yeah, I I am surprised just because uh, am I allowed to say that this is my least favorite of the extensions or do I need to save that for later? I guess I've already spoiled that now. (laughs) (laughs) You can say that now. I'm surprised that it's his that you don't like the most, though. Yeah, I just I don't know. I, I, I don't like when during an age 22 season we see almost across the board regression. And that's what it felt like last year. And granted, like Boston's situation was so weird with the Kyrie Irving drama and no one quite knowing where they stood in the pecking order at any point in the season, but still like it felt like his defensive instincts got worse and he didn't improve at all trying to finish at the rim. And, you know, all of a sudden he's going from 39.5% to 34.4% on threes, you know, just like so many, so many indicators that this breakout that we kind of went into last season expecting wasn't happening. And then to see it break precedent with how Boston typically handles extensions, that that one caught me by surprise and I I just I I struggle to see how he's going to justify this one this had to be I think it would have made more sense to wait after last year because I do think that there was just so much lost in that season like you mentioned the jumbled pecking order he was kind of injured and banged up to start the season so I would rather go through this year and then you can look at it as hey it's restricted free agency the worst that can happen is we match a whatever offer you maybe it's a three-year deal with a player option at the end Mm -hmm. of it I guess at the same time, they were probably worried about they can get value here for sub-max money where, you know, is Cleveland or Atlanta or Memphis just going to toss him a max offer sheet just because? It, it is tough because I don't think he's ever going to turn into the offensive player that would warrant this type of contract. I, we haven't seen the playmaking from him. There are still those drives to nowhere that he has. But he did quietly salvage last season statistically when he was coming off the bench. But it is a red flag, too, when you see – you know, the minutes go down. I know it has something to do with the pecking order, and I, he was even one of their more consistent shooters during their disappointing playoff run. Just to see that from someone in their sophomore campaign, is, is it's no doubt a red flag. And so this one makes me, I don't think it's the one that makes me the most uneasy of the bunch, but it definitely makes me a little uneasy. And also because you know that they're not going to go another 10 years without offering a rookie extension. Jason Tatum is going to get the max extension. He would have to have a terrible 2009-2020 for that not to happen. And so now we're and I'm not sure he's going to deserve that one either. Right, and neither of those deals will be eminently movable once they once they kick in. Maybe Jason Tatum, just because they'll still have that mystique, but I would say if Jalen Brown doesn't hit this season, that one is in danger of wearing off, and, and then, yes, this deal could look kind of poor for the team. Good for him for getting paid. I am pro-players oh, getting as yeah. much money as they, they can. I'm right there with you. And the other thing about Tatum's inevitable extension is that he'll still only be 18 at the end of it, which is great. He's, and he's going to look 13. Yeah, with the, with the peach fuzz beard and everything. so Humans have been shaving for thousands of years. During that time, the secret to a great shave hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls, they didn't need heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it gives me the closest shave ever with an easy glide and the razors come at a low price. Do us a favor. Check out harrys.com slash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. It comes out to just $2 per blade. Harry's is also just super convenient. Blade refills are shipped right to your house when you sign up for a subscription. And there's no risk for trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of Hardwood Knox can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, 
and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Buddy Heald, just a wild progression of events with him. Four years, $106 million. That includes $12 million in unlikely incentives. Were it, the, the number was the Kings were at four years and 90. And he was basically saying that he'll just go somewhere else if they won't pay him. And then my favorite part of his soundbite was, what free agent is coming to Sacramento? Like, what big name? I'm already here, basically, is what he said. And whether he went about that correctly or not, I think a lot of people thought Demandis Sabonis handled it better in Indy through the awkward stages. I appreciated his thoughts, but then how do you end up on, all right, I'll sign for $94 million guaranteed with the possibility, the unlikely possibility of, of making more than that? Yeah, it was a super strange situation. And I feel like, I, I'm not sure the, there, that we've seen the end of the drama yet either. I don't know if you saw that uh, for, for the Thursday night game, uh, they, they tweeted out that he was questionable for the game and he, he responded like, LOL or something I like no like he's definitely gonna play um yeah just like calling out the team's official injury report and stuff after he signed the extension i have no idea like how this is all going to unfold going forward but like at least he already got paid i guess um would, yeah would the, you have the paid whole him? thing's bizarre absolutely yeah. it's the the timing of this one was also funny for us too because i feel like it it happened within 12 hours of me telling you that I really thought he would be an interesting target for the Hawks, um, and wouldn't be. You didn't upset just tell me. Let's let's make. That I know. Clear. Yeah, you told yeah. The no, world. I put that one out there. I put that one out there. I believed in that. Yeah, he's such a perfect fit for that system. But yeah, no. I mean, you pay for shooting in this league, and I think you can make a, a serious argument that he's one of the the three to five best shooters in the league right now. Just if we're talking in terms of pure perimeter shooting, not like, you know, the all around game, like Kevin Durant's mid range game and all that, just pure three point shooting. You know, what, what tool doesn't he have there? He's great in transition on pull-ups. He finds his spot when he's playing off the ball. He's great. Um, he's, he's getting better coming off screens. Uh, I, I don't think that you can overpay for a player like that, even if he's not necessarily going to be your number one takeover a game option. Yeah, and I think look, you pay for shooting, but it's not it's not and you mentioned it, it's not just his shooting, it's the fact that his shooting can be deployed in so many different forms. Like you said transition, coming around screens. Uh, he's done some stuff off handoffs. He last year he shot 40.8% combined on his one and two dribble threes. So he has that ability to work with the ball in his hands a little bit. You'd maybe like to see him do be put in some more pick and roll and be able to score that way and facilitate the offense. That's probably the I think the only more than incremental improvement from him that we could ever do we want to see that in sacramento though i don't know if we want to see it but if you're looking for him to branch out his game i think that would be the most likely path for him to do it i guess i'd rather him focus on defense just knowing that deer and fox is going to be there forever my my only qualm with that is it's just never gonna work i i don't see a good like a, a plus solid plus defender in there where i'm i'm evaluating it from the position as of right now at least you know can he play or guard three so that you can get Bogdanovich in there with De'Aaron Fox. I don't ever see that player. And then I look defensively vice versa. I don't see that player in Bogdanovich, but at least he can, he's a, he's a good shooter and he can, you know, handle the ball and, and facilitate the offense as well. But he heals a better player. And like you said, he's, mm-hmm. I would say he's behind a healthy clay and Steph, but he healed like maybe JJ Redick still. And then, Buddy I don't, healed. I don't know that I, I don't think Redick has the versatility that, that he does at this point. I think he does. He Redick was, crazy efficient in handoffs coming around screens in Philly. He even ran Philly didn't run a ton of pick and roll, but he was like in the 90th percentile, both his seasons in pick and roll scoring, which is like, that's, you can do other stuff with him. I'll give it to you in half court in the half court setting. I'll, I'll let you have Redick there. But I think when you add in the transition element, yeah, I would rather have healed. I, when, when he first started asking for money, it was, I, I don't, I will never go like, Oh, you must be a casual or don't watch the game through. But it was kind of funny to, see people have a buddy healed awakening on Twitter when they realized actually how good of a shooter he was when that, when those first price points started leaking out, it went from, well, why would you pay him like $90 million to, Oh, buddy healed is, you know, he's really good. Well, I don't think it helped that he was a late bloomer too. You know, that, that he entered the league. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And even beyond the age (laughs) that he struggled so much in new Orleans and, and then kind of gradually improved in Sacramento. And then last year was that, big breakout for a team that while they were so improved and so fun to watch didn't really register on the national radar 
uh, just because they weren't in the playoff race and they weren't often on those nationally broadcasted games. So I do think that he was kind of like a more anonymous improving player. So do you think he's the third best shooter in the game now then? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, and there would be... I think I agree with you, and I, like I said, Redick is probably the only one I might still consider over him. I don't. Corver's not at that level anymore by far. I'm just trying to think. No one else really springs to mind unless. unless well, you think apparently we need Devonte Graham in the conversation too now. Yeah, that's because he's what like nine of eleven in his first two games. Right, and I mean, look, if uh, tr- way to date the podcast that's coming out a few days after Adam, jeez. Um, now, now also maybe Trey Young if he's just going to pull up and shoot forty percent from the logo that he might have to belong in that conversation. Yeah. I mean, if you want to turn this into a Trey Young appreciation podcast so it's not dated, like we can do that too. I'm not sure how many people would listen to that. Our singular Hawks podcast have done surprisingly not well. <laughs> Go figure. Right. Sabonis, that was another awkward situation where it kind of seemed like they, you know, Sam Amick of The Athletic reported that they were looking at moving him. But then you get into, oh, he's making peanuts. What do you trade him for? He had, it wasn't, I would say he was honest. He definitely handled the situation a little bit better than and Buddy healed, but then he goes and he signs a, a four-year, $85 million extension with $8 million in incentives. So even the guaranteed money, it's right about where, if we're only looking at the guaranteed money for for him, it's about what Miles Turner can make if his incentives hit, I believe. What did you think of this deal? Well, really, did he play it better than healed if he's making $21 million less? Well, for I mean, I think he no, must I, have I know, I know. because who's paying centers this much money right now? Right. No, yeah, I, it's – this is the one that I don't really know what to make of. I don't hate it just because I love his game, I, I, and I, I feel like there's room for a lot more improvement too despite how effective he's already been. We saw in the preseason that he seemed a little bit more comfortable handling the ball and, and working off the dribble from the perimeter. Um, but the fit was kind of awkward with Miles Turner last year, and the results when both of them were on the court weren't great. Now, granted, the early returns have kind of been in the opposite direction so far this season where they actually have looked effective together. Um, it's I just don't know if that's sustainable or what they're going to put around them. It's It feels like this is the one that could go either way, even though I hesitate to say it's one that I don't like because I like the player so much, if that makes sense. That's why it's tough to hate the ex- extension. My official stance, though, is this is the the extension I'm least comfortable with, um, where you were with Jalen Brown. And my other official stance is the long-term fit between Turner and Zabonis to me just doesn't exist. We haven't seen the volume from either one of them on the outside. I don't know if that's a product of coaching with Nate McMillan. It does seem like Miles Turner's just a little bit more willing to fire away from the perimeter. That helps. Uh, he's gotten a lot better at coming out in the pick and roll defensively. And so that helps them work. I just don't ever see it as being this really substantial plus pairing. And they they need, when they're both on the floor, a really high-level shot creator for the for the offense to perform at a high level. And that, that puts a lot on Victor Oladipo's shoulder when he comes back from that, that quad injury. What this extension does signal to me is that there would be a chance Miles Turner gets traded this season should Indiana go belly up without Oladipo where he comes back and he's not good right away. And I think either, you know, is a substantial, is an actual possibility because we don't have like a good frame of reference for the Oladipo injury, right? Looking at, you know, Tony Parker had something similar, but his game was never like Oladipo's and he was like 80. And late in his career. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and I think Turner's the better player now. And I think he has the higher ceiling long-term. And so that's why this makes me uncomfortable. I also don't think, there's, you have to. I understand that you need to build goodwill with players, but looking at this from the cold, feelingless businessman's perspective, even with the aggressive teams out there, I want to know who was giving Sabonis near max money on the market. I, I just want to know. I don't see that team out there. You sound like an MLB owner right now. Just please don't say it's anybody associated with the Astros and we're fine. I, I would never. Thank you. <laughs> I would never. No, I, I do wonder if this is, is also a signal that maybe the Pacers aren't as comfortable with where Turner is as they expected to be. Just that they had placed so much of their their growth on his shoulders, you know, expecting him to become more of an offensive focal point and expecting him to do that while maintaining the defensive prowess. You know, just even letting Thaddeus Young escape. Um, 
and I, I guess that it, it just it leaves as you as you as you said it leaves open the possibility that they could move either one of them down the road um and i don't know that that's a vote of confidence when turner's already extended right and i i also don't think that sabonis as much as i like him as a player and his it seems like caitlin cooper vindy cornrose has put it this way his floor is just so certain it's like you sort of know what you're getting with him the and ambiguousness of his ceiling and then also I don't know that he's definitely as easy to fit on every team in the new NBA just because you look at Turner who you can just sell as a floor spacing rim protector really mm-hmm. who, who who can switch now more or come out further on defense it seems like at the money they're making now that he might just be the better asset no I I'm totally with you there too um yeah I mean I I don't know how much growth Sabonis has in the areas that would make him that universal fit. Like I you think said, it's he's more quick. And it, so maybe he could become like a better defense. Cause like when you watch him move, like he's very like felt mm-hmm. for a big guy. No, it's true. It's, it's more about the offense for me though. Okay. Just cause I, I don't know that you get to sell him as that floor spacer. Yeah. And they've never even really tried, I guess like they, they don't have him unleashing threes. So that's still going to be, Sure, Pacers fans are sick of it, but that fit is still going to be just something not only monitor this season, but it really determines like what direction Indiana uh, ultimately ends in. DeJounte Murray, San Antonio Spurs. This one caught me a little off guard, not in a bad bad way, but four years, seventy million. That includes six million dollars in exen- incentives. What did you What did you think of this one? This one's another massive shrug. You know, I I like DeJounte Murray. I think that. He fits well with how the Spurs like to play, especially if Popovich wants to get back to more of the defense-first approach in future years because DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are not going to stick around there forever. But what do we have to go on here? Last year was supposed to be his breakout and then a torn ACL and he never plays. So I, I don't know because there's nothing to base the opinion off right now. I would have given him this contract based off that one possession he defended James Harden for in the preseason <laughs> that went viral. That would have I think that's valid. He he's an All NBA defender, and the big question is, can he command an? It, one of the big questions is, can he command an offense? The bigger question is, what is his range going to look like? And in the pre, in the preseason, trickling into the beginning of the regular season, he looked like someone who's more willing to shoot from the perimeter. I don't think you can have him. DeMar DeRozan and Derek White in the same rotation long-term, that's something you're going to have to confront. They should probably move DeRozan. That would be my my pick there. That's something to certainly be concerned with. But this seems like, from a team's perspective, that you can live with it if it doesn't hit. You have a huge bargain if it does. And then from Murray's perspective, you still got life-changing money while being this. You're not a distressed asset, but you're definitely more of an unknown than you should be this late into your career. I think the only thing you said that I'll push back on a little bit is the all-defensive element, where yes, it's true that he made the all-defensive team in 2017-18, but he also did so at the position where defense has the least impact. So if that's the primary selling point, then I'm less likely from a business perspective um, to, to want to give that much money to him. You know, we, we have to see that offensive growth to go with it. And again, it's just, it's such a tough sell when we don't have a sample to work with there. That's fair. I would still say having someone that you can put on really either guard spot and leave him alone, even if he does get cooked, you can still. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not valuable at all. Just just said if Jonathan Murray sucked, I heard that just come right out of your mouth before. I I thought I was on mute for that part. (laughs) That I I still think that's going to push came to shove. Would you have not given it then is what you're saying? Or I don't think I would have, especially seeing what we saw from Derek white in the postseason against the nuggets. I think that you could see enough there that I would have waited to see a little bit more what I had in Murray first. This extension was also done a while ago. Karis LeVert, three years, 52.5 million. If anyone thought that was going to set the market for some of these other players <laughs> on the, that were eligible, it did not because they ended up getting so much more. What were your thoughts about, about that one? I think it's great, and I hope Kyrie passes in the ball more. Because what we saw at the beginning of last season was so special before his injury. Um, and I, I want to see more of that. You know, just such a special offensive talent. He's so smooth with the ball. 
Um, it's just like that easy athleticism. And I, I want to see more and more of him because I think the ceiling is a lot higher than people realize and a lot higher than this number indicates. I can't tell if people forgot that he was the Nets' best player before his dislocated ankle injury or if like, and then that's how D'Angelo Russell carved out the opportunity. I, Cause I do kind of feel like it's flown under the radar since D'Angelo Russell got his own max contract that that guy wasn't even closing games for Brooklyn really when Karis Levert uh, before Karis Levert got injured. And like you said, the, the athleticism is so effortless. The first step is great. And he, you know, dating back to the playoffs when D'Angelo Russell was kind of just neutralized, not kind of, he was by Ben. He Simmons. was, he carried that offense and you know, look, the Nets did not win. But he made, he took and, and converted some really difficult shots. And to have that as what's going to eventually be your third scorer, unless you move him on a deal that even if he doesn't come close to his ceiling, is probably still a price another team would pay if you wanted to move him. It feels like I view it in the same terms as those, the Murray deal, where I, I like it probably a little bit more because he's a wing. And so a playmaking wing is more valuable and he has the more established offensive ceiling, but maybe he would have made more money in the open market, but this is still life-changing money. It'll get him into free agency a little bit sooner too, if, if he's still in the money-making arc of his career. And then for the Nets, if it if he hits, this turns out to be a mega bargain and it, it gives you some team building flexibility while you have two other stars on the roster. And you know what, if it doesn't pan out, you can live with it. So tell me if this is a, a hot or a tepid take, but I don't think he's going to finish this contract in Brooklyn just because it seems like with Durant and with Kyrie that this is a team that is going to want to win now. And we saw them already willing to make concessions by giving DeAndre Jordan an overmarket value contract that probably comes at the expense of Jarrett Allen's development. Now, even if Allen continues to start for the Nets and continues to play a big role. It's not as big of one as we would have seen if Jordan isn't there. Um, and I, I just I, I just have this feeling that they're going to prioritize winning and winning now. And that means that Levert is going to be expendable in the pursuit of a more established veteran who becomes available. I don't think that's a hot take. What might be difficult is it feels like they have so many other pieces and salary anchors that they could maybe move I don't know Levert at his age is kind of in that in-between stage where if they're getting a, a marquee player from another team we have to assume that team is going to enter a rebuilding phase and I don't know how attractive Karis Levert is for a team like that unless they're still trying to win now but he is their best prospect or trade asset next season once his extension kicks in aside from Durant or Kyrie Irving and and like you said, it's not even just the that win now mentality, but the fact that they can put together interesting offers because you have mm-hmm. um, Jared Allen. Uh, let's see what Musa turns into. You have you have Rody on that team. You have picks that you can trade. There's also Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, and even just looking at a salary anchor, I don't know if they could move DeAndre Jordan. You'd have to ask Kyrie and KD's permission. <laughs> but so they have those like very movable and malleable numbers. So I don't think it's a it's a super hot take. I do wonder how much value, though, there would be in cash. Like, let's say he he pans out. How much value is there in getting off of someone who's then on a plus contract for a star that's making market value or below, and you're already sort of trafficking in a lack of continuity because a new number one this year with Kyrie Irving, new number one next year with KD. So are you going to do it before next season? Um, and where you kind of almost shorten your window again before they get the free agency. I, I don't know. So it doesn't feel hot, but it does feel like if he works out, there's this element of it being an unnecessary risk to me, if that makes any sense of moving him. No, I, I think that's fair. It's just based on the team building strategies we're seeing with this new era of Nets basketball. You know, when someone like Jimmy Butler decides that he wants to play for a ninth team in the last four years, then couldn't you just see it too this season, December, uh, Miami's like not that great January. Yes. Jimmy Butler gets a little unhappy. Absolutely. And then Pat Riley wants to continue like remaining competitive. And look, here's this rising talent at the same position. Like maybe we want to swap them. Yeah, that that look next season when his extension kicks in, maybe that would absolutely be a situation to monitor. Although if it happens this season, Denver needs to jump on the Jimmy Butler train. That seems like he'd be a perfect fit there. That was a tangent, but a short one. <laughs> the final one that we have, I think this was probably the single most surprising extension. Torian Prince. Two years, $29 million, 
I believe I was trying to confirm this that it includes four million in incentives as well. So there's about twenty five million or a little bit more guaranteed. It's in that ballpark though. What do you make of this one? If the monetary value is higher on this one, it would have been my least favorite, but because it's just more insignificant than Jalen Brown's massive deal, it can't quite be my least favorite. But I feel like Torian Prince is just still banking on the way he finished that 2017-18 season with the Hawks, where it's kind of these garbage time games against a team that isn't going anywhere, and he gets to show out against teams that maybe aren't paying as much attention to the Hawks scouting report, and he's still coasting on that. you know, just having watched him a lot in Atlanta, like I see so many lazy passes out on the perimeter. I see so little commitment to the proper defensive rotations. And it, it's similar to Brown where you, there's regression in key areas where there should be progression. Um, I just, I don't get this one. I believe we brought you on and uh, to talk about awards at one point before. It was after he finished the 2017-2018 season. And you and Andy were trying to talk me off the Torian Prince limb because I was so high on him. I thought he was, we were all in agreement that the defense was just, you know, he's the six, seven guy. So in theory, you, you like him defensively, but in practice, you don't. I was convinced that he was going to turn into a better ball handler. And so if you were going to have someone who could create furthers off the dribble and shoot a high clip from three, he was going to be great. That aspect of his game never materialized. He is a turn. And look, that was a reasonable opinion though. It was like he had the tools, he had the the physical abilities and we saw it in spurts, but you know, so much of it is about being in the right situation and developing. And that's what didn't happen. I like though, that he's back with Kenny Atkinson who had him for a minute in Atlanta and Atkinson has said that he was better defensively there. And so maybe you can turn him into something, you know, at the three and the four for Brooklyn, because if he picks up defensively or if he's just another offensive safety valve where you can trust him to dribble without coughing the ball up, that's huge as well. And look at this salary. It's short term enough where that's a that's a good trade anchor next season. Looking ahead, if if you want to make that move, because even if you move Levert, whether it's Levert, whether it's Dinwiddie, like there needs to be a, another big bigger salary attached to them because they don't make that star level money themselves. And so that's where this comes in really valuable. And he's a team, at least offensively, if he's playing within the confines of of his wheelhouse. He's very plug and play because he is a good shooter. He shoots like 38, 39, 40% from three, like like clockwork. And so for this team, it's a fine gamble. But if you were just looking strictly at the per year price point rather than the length, you could probably talk yourself into to not being with this contract extension. Sure. And I, I think that it sums it up nicely that one of the biggest selling points is that it might give them the ability to move him as salary ballast in another deal. Yeah. But it's also like you said, if it was a million, two million, three million higher, you could be completely out on it. But is there a chance that Torian Prince ends up being, if you frame it this way, a player who's more valuable and worth slightly above the mid-level exception? I would say there's a chance sure. that happens. Sure. So I like that line of thinking. Ooh, buddy, believe it or not, it's that time of year again. The holiday rush is coming, Hardwood Knox listeners. And if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. And how do you keep track of all those orders? Or decide which shipping carrier to use? Or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door and delivered in time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. I can attest to the latter because my wife and my father-in-law co-own a couple of UPS stores together. They use ShipStation all the time for their own personal stuff. Her brother sells sneakers online. They use that all the time. They also deal with ShipStation a lot, and they've talked about how good it is. ShipStation even offers big discounts on shipping costs. Now, any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of your holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use Hardware Knox's offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. 
That's ShipStation.com. Enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Among the notable non-extension guys, the ones who are eligible that didn't sign one, Brandon Ingram, Malik Beasley, Juan Hernan Gomez, Dario Saric, if you get a little bit more deep cut, DeAndre Bemery, Jacob Puddle, just kidding, Jakob Puddle. I love whoever called him Jacob Puddle. I love them for doing that. Chris Dunn, Damian Jones. Wait, is that, is that a thing? He's We call him Jacob Puddle on the pod now because it's okay. – um, I don't know. It wasn't this pod that invented it. I'm not going to take credit for it, but I love that name. He should change it. He should. Jacob. So Jacob Puddle, Chris Dunn, Damian Jones, Scala BCA, Foundmaker, Denzel Valentine, any of those guys that are you surprised one didn't get done or are you just really intrigued by what their offseason markets are going to be? Can you already look at one or two of these guys and say, that guy's going to get overpaid this summer? Any just general thoughts on these these dudes that ended up not signing extensions? Um, I feel like Thon Maker is probably the most likely overpaid candidate just because of that remaining enigmatic form. Um, just that maybe we're going to be the ones to solve him, you know? Um, but I I don't, I don't know that any of them really jump out in that ballpark. Um, I think Ingram is the most interesting because it's so hard to know what exactly he is. You know, he was a fairly inefficient volume scorer who didn't necessarily contribute that much in LA until the end of his tenure there, right before the blood clots ended his season prematurely. And now he's starting out the season fairly hot in new Orleans. Um, and there's so much dormant potential there that I, I don't think I'd be surprised if he ended up being a max caliber player. Um, so that's probably the one I'm, I'm most interested in monitoring. Um, we know the Malik Beasley sucks. We don't have to talk about him. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I, say, I was like, that's a heel say, turn. I yeah. Can't say that with a with a straight face. You know how much I love him. Um that, want- that one's interesting just because I, I feel like he's gonna be priced out in Denver and I have no idea where he's gonna go. Yeah, he's so you named the two that I'm most interested in. Uh, Dario Sarge is up there too. There were no rumblings about an extension for him, and I found that weird. I know he hadn't played for the Suns yet, but if you're gonna get you know what they did when they effectively traded Jared Culver for Cam Johnson, Dario Sarge, you'd think maybe it was with the intention of keeping Sarge long-term. Other, otherwise, that trade looks weird. But Brandon Ingram, I'm a Brandon Ingram stand. Even I'll say, when, when he's playing well, whether it was, you know, he seemed to close the past two seasons in L.A. really strong uh, before his injury and then opening it strong in New Orleans, he just doesn't look like he's playing inside the offense ever. And that's, that's definitely a problem. Uh, it, he's come close in New Orleans at moments where he'll at least look at the rim when he catches the ball above the three-point line instead of automatically going into his his dribbles, and he looks more willing to shoot threes. But unless that player comes out consistently, I don't know what his value is. I do actually think he's become underrated defensively. He's disruptive whether he's playing That's a fair. wing spot or at the four. He's the guy that I'm looking at this year with Jalen Brown and Buddy Heald um, and even Karis LeVert off the market where I could see maybe not Atlanta because they have Reddish and, and Hunter and, and Herter, but – a Cleveland, maybe a Memphis. Um, the other team to project to have cap space is a Charlotte. I could see one of those teams just coming in with huge offers. And I don't know what the Pelicans do in that situation because they're so deep. They're 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 just they're unbelievably deep if everyone's healthy. I don't know if you match that because he's there's a chance he I don't be, think you do. Yeah, because there's a chance unless he has unless we're talking about let's fast forward to March and me and you pick Brandon Ingram for most improved player unless that's the situation that we're looking at. And even then you're dealing with, is this a one year anomaly or something along those lines? And even then you still have a ridiculous depth of talent in new Orleans where it might not make sense because you just don't need it. And you have Lonzo ball coming up and you don't want to get yourself in the situation where you're this feel good, plucky upstart. to now all of a sudden you're, you're this expensive team that isn't necessarily ready to contend and might not with this exact core ever be ready to contend. So I'm, most interested in his. And I do think that he's going to be the one, I don't know if he'll get max money, but it wouldn't shock me if he was, you know, we went through of the non max guys, you know, starting with Jalen Brown on down. It wouldn't surprise me if he got more than every single one of them. No, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Cause again, like we, we see the improvement, we see those flashes, but then, you know, as you said, there was a, this one preseason game in Atlanta um, where it felt like he wanted to take over every single possession and just, you know, who cares what the offense is doing? Like, I'm going to get mine. And that 
mentality and that style of play just does not gel with how Alvin Gentry wants to play with this young New Orleans roster. So it's it's going to be a clash of, of style and, and skill and development throughout the year. And I, I've, there, there are such disparate possible outcomes here. Malik Beasley is the, you already named him, would be the second most interesting to me. I think the offer that was reported was they were at three years and 30. I, if he has a good season, he'll have no trouble getting more than that. I don't know if he's someone that you just like oh, caps lock overpay because the jury's still out on whether he looks like he should have the physical tools, even though he's not really long, but that he should be able to defend wings. And he hasn't really done a great job doing that. He, they did put him on a lot of threes last year because they had to. It wasn't like Malik Beasley's a really good exactly. defender. Uh, but he has shown it's not just the shooting and, and the cutting. Like He has just a little bit more off-the-bounce juice. Like We saw it a little bit in the playoffs and then in, in moments. You're not going to get a ton of time to operate on that level when you have Murray and Jokic, which is fine. Someone who can vacillate between the two would be huge. I could see a team coming in and saying, 16 17 million dollars annually why not and that I wouldn't be surprised by that at all so i what would be the number that you would if it gets into like the 19 20 range that's the one that would really catch you off guard he would have to have a monster year i think for me to even think that that was coming down the pipeline from another team yeah i mean since my official scouting report on Malik Beasley is that he's amazing and perfect in basically everything like i don't know that even that would surprise me uh it's it's more just like I don't know that there are going to be enough opportunities in Denver because he probably is going to come off the bench for much of the year. And that team is so ridiculously deep, but what, what tool does he not have that modern day teams are looking for? You know, like a, a great shooter off the ball, who's getting more comfortable handling, as you said, a great cutter, a great finisher around the hoop. Like he has those defensive tools. And I think he's shown some signs of, of being a little bit more comfortable defending in space. Um, and making the right reads in, in pick and roll situations and stuff. Um, it, it would be it would be a little bit extreme to pay him twenty million dollars a year based on what he's shown so far. But like, I'm just such a believer in his game that I don't know that I would be surprised if the number did rise that high next year. You are more of a Malik Beasley optimist than I am, and I consider myself a Malik Beasley optimist. Yeah, I mean, like. He's he's my like number one plant the flag player this year. You did say you could see a scenario in which he ends up being Denver's second best player. That is something you told me. I, I I'll stand by that one. That is your hot take. Never mind the that's my, that's my, stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's my scorching take. Um, no, I, I think there's a scenario in which that happens. You know, it would not be good news for the Nuggets though. No, it wouldn't. Because that requires regression from Murray. It requires Gary Harris not getting back to the pre-injury levels that we saw two years ago. Like There there is a a feasible path to that happening just because Murray is so good at consistently being inconsistent. Um, And I am so high on (laughs) – I am so high on on Beasley's all-around skill set. But that is not an outcome that Denver wants to be dealing with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lightning round for this. What was your best value extension of the one that was signed? Ben Simmons. What was your worst value? Jalen Brown. I think my best value is Javante Murray, and my worst one is I don't really. I think I might. I'm going to say it's a bonus. I feel like such a dick saying that too. Am I allowed to say that Ben Simmons as a max player is still the best value? Like, is that fair game here? Just because the NBA artificially caps what players can make in in a vacuum, his his on court value is going to drastically exceed that. You are allowed, and it's not ridiculous. I would be be a little bit more uncomfortable with his deal if he qualifies for the 30% max by making first-team All-NBA. And then at the same time, it's because he made first-team All-NBA that it reaches that price point. So no, I think that's a... a, He's the only one on this list, and I love Siakam. I love Jamal Murray, too. He's the only one on this list that I think you could look at. One, he's the only top 20 player currently on this list, and he's the only one that I think has, like, top five potential. I don't, Or maybe even, if you want to say, best player in the league potential. But I don't see anyone else on this list maybe Siakam who could get into top 10 territory. Are, are we sure season? Siakam's not in the top 20 conversation right now? I had him 25 in NBA 100. So that's actually a little bit disrespectful of someone who put him <laughs> in the top 25. So, but he's, I would say he's the only, I guess you can make a case. He's, he's the only, he's the only one of his kind. I feel like of this group, even with Siakam, I don't think there's anyone who comes close to matching his ceiling among this group no I, I totally agree with that but yeah if you want me to amend my answer to that first question and say that whatever Malik Beasley eventually signs is the best value like I'm willing to do that 
It, you know what? It might be better for Denver. This would be a dirty game, but you taper his playing time, and then he's like almost forced to sign that. You know, maybe it's four year, forty million dollar deal at the end of the season. Yeah, I just I have trouble believing that that organization would do that right now because since like the disastrous Kenneth Fareed situation and stuff, like they've gone out of their way to do right by their players and have changed the reputation so much that the players are willing to come there now. Like that's not something that I can see them doing. They could also do that. And then whatever front office you're advising on the side would then just come over the top anyway. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, The final thing to wrap up with is, can you play a little bit of, will they be gone, stay or go of the free agent, the restricted free agents that we have on this list? who aren't? Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going to start with the names that a lot of people probably don't care about. DeAndre Bembry. He's going to stay. He's too valuable as an energetic defender for Atlanta. Jacob Puddle in San Antonio. I tend to agree with you, by the way. I'll, I'll have my announcement at the end for each one. I, just, I also don't know what his market's going to command. Like I don't think that he's going to price himself out of Atlanta. Uh, Puddle is going to be gone just because I think that – Somebody is going to to want to pay a big, and San Antonio has too many already. I'm going to say he better be gone because San Antonio's offense, even if it's efficient, looks too clump, clumpy. Chris Dunn of Chicago. Uh, Kobe White's hair is going to force him out. Yeah, I see that. Damian Jones in Atlanta. A lot of Atlanta Hawks on this list. There are a lot of Atlanta Hawks on this list, and I often forget that Damian Jones is on the Hawks, so I'm going to say that up, he will yeah. officially be off the Hawks. Scala BCA actually playing in Portland. We might add. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't see that one happening either. After uh, Nurkic gets gets healthy, there's just not enough minutes to go around there, and they seem to 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 really like Zach Collins. Thon Maker in Detroit. Who knows? Do you, uh, the better question might be: Is he in the NBA next year? Yes, just because yeah. that 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 type of package is too appealing to the general manager who thinks that he can be the one who finally turns this around also side note i hope we we get to a a point soon where i can say he or she thinks that they can be the one to turn it around we need a we need a a female general manager at some point uh it's overdue that's all i'll say a lot of brilliant female basketball minds out there denzel valentine in chicago he's he's a tough one because i really like him and I feel like he would have been thought of so much more highly if he hadn't missed all of last season. And now he's kind of buried in the depth chart. So I don't think he's going to stay just because I think there's going to be a team out there that sees value there. I don't think he's going to be there either. And I mostly think it's because the Bulls will be done with him. That's just my guess. Now we get to the juicier ones. Juan Hernan Gomez in Denver. He's going to stay just because I think Denver really likes his flexibility and potential to play both of the forward spots and that kind of malleability is valuable um, when they're kind of when they're they're kind of brushing up against can they pay their players right I was actually going to push back a little bit because I don't I don't know if they'll pay both him and Beasley but if you if you have Millsap leave that leaves really a gaping hole at the four and he's someone who could at least play the four Malik Beasley hey there we go he's gone Denver just doesn't have the money to pay him that's interesting. You don't think it? they would like, what if Paul Millsap leaves? There's more flexibility there for them, room under the tax. Even if there is, I think that there are too many other pieces that are in place and they're already more, they're already more um, set in stone with. Atlanta, Charlotte, Cleveland, or Memphis, which one's going to be the one that gives them the offer sheet? Can I just go super homer and say Atlanta? Is that, is that, if that's what you're crossing your fingers for, I'm fine with it. That would be fantastic. I would I would buy that jersey so fast. Um, no, I, I think Charlotte is a really good option there. Dario Saric of the Phoenix Suns. I think he'll stay. I kind of do too. No, I have I, no I have no it. justification for that. None whatsoever. He just kind of had a rough year last year between what he was doing in Philly and then getting traded to Minnesota. So unless he has a huge bounce back season, I don't know that the market for him will be super high. And then, of course, Brandon Ingram, New Orleans Pelicans. I don't see any situation in which he's still there. Really? Yeah. I just, you know, as, as we talked about, like just between the, the stylistic fit and the inevitability of him making a lot of money and the depth of that team, I think that it's more important that they maintain their financial flexibility for the other extensions they're definitely going to have to hand out. Like, I, I don't think that you want to be caught in a scenario 
where you can't extend somebody like Alexander Walker because you've already paid Ingram and he overlaps with other players on the team. Like, especially when Zion's a ball handler too. I, I get the logic. I'm going to say he stays almost no matter what, unless if there's mm-hmm. a max offer, maybe that changes things, but they don't really have like a truer three. Like, is it Alexander Walker? Is it Drew Holiday? Neither of those are your ideal options. You'd rather play them at one of the guard spots. And so unless you're bringing back Etwan Moore, a healthy Darius Miller, they just don't have that like conventional wing type. And Ingram is valuable to them insofar as they believe that they need that player. And so I would be a little bit surprised if he isn't in, maybe not surprised, but my, my prediction would be that he is in New Orleans next season. Maybe it's just because I'm, I'm, really excited and high on what Lonzo Ball can do with that team and in a new situation and love Alexander Walker and, and Zion, obviously. And I think that you end up paying somebody like Kendrick, Kenrich Williams as well. Um, that that's I think that that's, that's the spot where you can go get that veteran mercenary, that three and D veteran most easily. Uh, and I just, I don't see that being a proper allocation of resources for that team. Adam, this was fun. Thank you for coming. Let's back. do it again soon. Yes, uh, definitely. I will be pestering you in, in the near future. I am sure it was great to have you back. Guys, if you're not following Adam, what are you doing with your lives? Do it immediately at Frommel09. Also, follow NBA Math. Check out all the work and the TPA graphs he's publishing over there at NBA underscore math. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Hardwood Knocks on iTunes. We appreciate every single one of you. Until next time, I leave everybody with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson and literally no one. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.